we're still working through First uh, Corinthians, and and it's been great to see that that as Paul has been um, answering some questions in these last few chapters, that the Corinthian church had written him a letter and and uh, asked some questions, and he's been dealing with some of the issues and some of the problems that have been going on there, and and last week we saw that. Um, some were even challenging his right to be an apostle based on some, you know, the fact that he wasn't taking money. It was kind of weird. But um, we saw Paul reminding the church that even though he had that apostolic authority and he had that perfect right to uh, expect financial and material support, that he had never kind of used that authority in the Corinthian church. Uh, he never wanted to be seen as just doing it as to um, for money, right? He he never wanted to um, exercise that authority, and he was cautionary not to abuse that. So he didn't want to be perceived for doing the wrong thing. Paul preached that he preached because God had given him that stewardship. That was his calling on his life. That was what he needed. He had no other option he saw than to preach the word of God, the gospel that God had given him. There was, there was nothing else that he could do or would want to do. That was his reward. And as we move through the chapter, we'll see some talking about rewards, but we need to know that those rewards are not what our Christian life is all about. It's not, that's not like the gospel of salvation. It's just simply those things that we would gain from doing what God would have us to do and that he would have um, rewards set up for us that we would be able to worship him with later. And none of it, we can't do any of it without his Holy Spirit in our lives. So just before we go to the word, let's just go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you here this morning for your precious word. Lord, your word that shows us what it is to run the race for you. Lord, what it is to fulfill the calling that you have given us as believers. Father, I pray that as we go through your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would just enlighten our hearts and our minds to that which you would have us to hear this morning. We just praise you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So as we look through um, this morning, we'll have... Uh, a couple of sections. The first verses, 19 to 23, we see Paul as a servant to all men. And then verses 24 to 27, the, the goal, the running for the prize. We pick it up in verse 19. And Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, <clears throat> Excuse me, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means win some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Paul begins here in verse 19 by saying that he's free from all men, 
And what he really means by that is that he's free from the restrictions and labels that men would put on him. Uh, He's free from what men would think of him because he really cares about what God thinks of him. Back in uh, verses 3 and 4, in chapter 4, we read, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. What Paul is saying here is that what men thought of him wasn't important. What God thought of him was his primary goal. His, his goal was to be that which the Lord had called him to be. He said that God had given him a stewardship of preaching the gospel. You know, and I, and I think of that parable of the talents where the master gave some of his servants talents like uh, money. Right? It was a Jewish form of currency. And to one he gave five, to one he gave three, and to one he gave one. And he said, I'm going away. And, you know, you guys do with this wisely. And while he was gone, the one with five and the one with three invested that in things that caused a great return. They doubled their money. The one that had one simply buried it in the ground. And, and uh, he was afraid that if he lost it somehow, his master would be angry with him. But when the master returned, he, he praised those who had invested the things that he had given them wisely. And he was angry with the one that had just buried it in the ground. He said, I gave you this. At least you could have done was put it in the bank and get some interest. But he did nothing with it because he was afraid. And those are the things that God has given us to do as Christians. He's given us talents, so to speak. And I don't mean like dancing or you know playing the piano or something, but he's given us spiritual talents that we are to use and invest wisely for the kingdom of God. You know, we are to turn what God has given us, hopefully, into more and bring more people into the kingdom of God. So that's what Paul was saying there in that. He was saying that um, even though he knows he's free from the condemnation and restrictions that man would put upon him, he declared himself to be a servant of all men. And Paul here uses that word for servant, that word doulos, that Greek word. And he's used that before when he speaks of himself as a bondservant or a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that term is a, like that free will of a, of a slave to become a bondservant to, the, to his master. In, in Hebrew culture, quite often the slave or the servant of the household was an indentured servant. That meant he had a debt to pay to the master. Somehow he owed that debt. And after a series of time, um, that debt would be considered to be paid and he would be allowed to be free. But sometimes he wouldn't choose not to be free. He would decide for some reason that maybe he he loved his master. He loved serving in that household and he wanted to continue to serve there. Or sometimes he had married and had a family. And, you know, they, they wouldn't be free, just he would. So he wanted to stay with them as well and live under that protection um, in the household of his master. And so he would make that known to his master. And the master would then take him before the judges and and make that declaration known and then take the servant home and 
sounds kind of rude, but he put him up against the doorpost of the house and put a hole in his ear with an awl, signifying that this, this servant had chosen of his own free will to serve that master. And that's what Paul was saying when he was um, making himself and declaring himself to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And that's the term he uses here again when he's saying he makes himself a servant of all men. And he says, because of his slavery to the Lord Jesus, he knows that he wants people to come to the gospel. He knows that's so great that he considers men more important than himself. So he makes himself that servant, that he might win more to Christ. And the word win here is it's another kind of neat word. It's, it comes from the Greek word kordeno, and it means to profit or gain. It's a a mercantile term that they used meaning to trade or to trade up um, would be to exchange goods, to exchange that which was mediocre for that which was better. And Paul's desire and his goal was that people would trade up for the life offered to them from Jesus, to be rid of their mediocre sinful life and to gain the life that only salvation through the blood of Jesus could afford them. And in the next few verses we read, Paul just kind of going through to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law that I might win those. And he goes on. But right in the middle of those statements, he says, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. And in that, he kind of gives us a clue as to the purpose of this is that he's He's free from that Mosaic law. He's free from those old Jewish laws that they had gone and grown up with and knew all those things before the Lord came and made a new covenant. But Paul was still under that law of Christ. And the law of Christ was love. Jesus said that the greatest commandment of all was to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if those were the two greatest commandments and you lived those things out, all the rest would follow suit because love would force that out of your life, right? So that's what Paul was saying is that he was under that law of Christ. He was doing this because of the love that he had for Christ and the, and the absolute um, redemption that Christ had put in him. He wanted to share that with others. Some might read those verses and think that Paul was kind of inconsistent with the gospel, though. Depending on who he talked to, he said different things. But that couldn't be further from the truth. All Paul was doing was saying that he understood his audience. He knew the references and examples that he could use to help those he was preaching to more fully understand the gospel that he was teaching them. If he was speaking to the Jews or those under the law... He would speak to them using the scriptures. He would go into the synagogue and he would, he would argue with them. And he would use the law and the prophets that they had heard and studied their whole lives. And he would present argument that the scriptures themselves proved that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. On the other hand, if he was speaking to um, Gentiles, they didn't have the law and the prophets. They didn't know that background. So he would come to them and he would explain to them that there was a creator 
one that had created the universe, the one that had created all things. In Acts 14, 17, he said, the, he, the creator gives us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He would explain that the God who does all of that, who created all things, couldn't possibly be an image made with human hands. An image of wood or stone or precious metal. This God had created all the heavens and everything that was in them. And Paul would undertake then to explain to them that this same God then provided his son as a sacrifice to come to earth and pay the penalty for sin that they could be saved. So that he put the gospel in a way that the Gentiles could understand it. Paul preached to the audience that was in front of him in the same way that Jesus did when he would speak to the Jews. Uh, you know, Jesus always used terms that people could understand. He used parables and things that related to their Jewish culture and the life that they were in. He made it understandable for them. And that's all Paul was doing. He was talking, Paul wanted to reach all men with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And nothing Paul ever said or did would have contradicted that which Jesus said in the, in the gospels. See, Paul never changed the gospel or the doctrine. He just simply changed the method in which he delivered it in order that more people would come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So now we move into the next three verses, the last three verses of the chapter, 24 to 27. And this is where Paul really begins to um, kind of put that challenge forward and explain things more deeply. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now right here we see another example of Paul understanding his audience, his He's speaking to the Corinthians here, and they totally and completely get the fact that races are run and stuff. They have their own version in Corinth of the Olympic Games. Uh, they have what was, they referred to them as the Isthmian Games. Try to say that three times fast. Um, they, they held that in honor of, you know, one of their false gods. And Paul was comparing that physical race that they understood to the spiritual race that he wanted them to understand. They're like one of the things that um, a young Greek would have to do if he wanted to compete in those games was to prove that he was a Greek citizen by birth. He had to have his citizenship. And Paul was challenging the Christian because their citizenship had changed from an earthly one to a heavenly one. Paul says in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things unto himself. 
Paul was explaining that there's a spiritual race that needs to be run by the believer. Each of us has our own race to run, the one that God has set before us. We're not in competition with other believers or members of the church. Um, We're, in a sense, running against ourselves with the race that God has put before us. So as many believers as there are, there's that many different and separate races that are being run. And Jesus has a prize for each of us if we're running that race to win. He also says that those who run in the race are temperate in all things. And the word actually means self-control, or more literally, to exercise dominion from within. And the only way that we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot exercise dominion over our flesh without the power of the Spirit in our lives. That's what Paul is trying to stress here. And we need to, the, the athlete is in total dominion over his or her body and he trains it rigorously to prepare for that race. And there's things that as Christians we can do to help prepare us for that race, to train. One of those things is absolutely to be in the word of God daily. If we're not being fed daily from the source of all knowledge and wisdom, If we're not filling ourselves with the spiritual nourishment that God has supplied us with, we're not going to have the energy or stamina to get very far in the race without falling on our faces in exhaustion. Another thing is to be daily in prayer and communication with our Heavenly Father. He's our race manager. He's the one who has that perfect strategy for us. And we need to be bringing our questions and our plans before the Lord to make sure that the race we're running we're running with a clear direction. And one more way that we can be in training is to be in fellowship with other believers, where we can be strengthened and sharpened, comforted, encouraged, and challenged by like-minded Christians who are running their own races, just like we are here this morning. And another way is to be in, in church, in a service, where, where we're hearing what God would say to us through our pastor, that he would um, deliver the word to us and we would be encouraged and strengthened through that. These are just some of the ways that we can exercise dominion over our flesh and train for our race. And on those days when you feel like sleeping in on a Sunday morning and you know the old flesh should say, ah, oh, it's a beautiful day, just take it easy, hit the beach later, it's all good. You know, those are the days that we need to just say, Holy Spirit, help me just, you know, overcome that flesh get up and and get to church where we can be challenged and where we can be taught and strengthened. The prize that the athletes were attempting to win here on earth in their earthly races, they were running for like kind of a little crown of twigs and leaves. I mean, they trained for years to get a branch stuck on their head, right? It was, you know, and then they take it home, they put it on their dresser and It would just kind of fall apart, turn brown, and get disgusting. But the Christian, we're running for an imperishable crown that Jesus will give us himself at the judgment seat of Christ. It says in Matthew chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in to steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And in 1 Peter 1, 4, he adds to that and says, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away is reserved in heaven for you. And as Christians, the, the thought of those rewards, the fact that there are, and the Bible tells us that there are physical rewards that Jesus will be giving us at the judgment seat of Christ. And those are not rewards that, you know, are meriting, are meriting our salvation at all. It has nothing to do with that. It's simply that these are the things that God has, is holding for us as obedient servants to him. Our reward, like Paul, should be just here on earth to do the will of God, to fulfill the purpose that he's given us in life, to speak to others to, about him, that they may come to the knowledge of him as well. The fact that there's actual heavenly rewards waiting for us is simply, as Revelation 4 states, that we get to cast those back now at Jesus' feet in worship and praise to the one who made it all possible in the first place. That's all those are for. As we mount up treasure in heaven, it's to do nothing else but worship Jesus with it. It has nothing to do with us. In verse 26, Paul goes on to say, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. He's saying that he's not running without an aim or a goal. He's not just running for the sake of running. Now, I don't do a lot of movie analogies, but there's a couple here that seem to fit the bill. And uh, how many people remember, like, Forrest Gump? Right? Okay, so you got Forrest, he's this little guy, and he's got braces on his legs, and, you know, a lot of the kids at school don't like him, and so they're, you know, they're coming to beat him up, and Jenny, his little friend, you know, she says, oh, run, Forrest, run! And so, you know, he takes off running and the braces start flying off of him and he's all good and he, he can run. From then on, he can just run. He runs everywhere. He just runs everywhere. But later in his life, you know, he's, all he's got kind of is Jenny. And she goes off and explores some other thing and he's all down and so he just starts running. And, you know, he's running all over the country and they, only, they interview him and like, what are you doing? Well, I'm just running. I'm just running. You know, and he was running aimlessly. He had no purpose. That is not what God wants us to be doing. He doesn't want us to just be running aimlessly. And so it brings up another movie reference, which is Overcomer. And if you haven't seen that movie, you should look it up. It's really good. Um, the premise is a, it's a young girl who wants to train to be a long-distance runner. And in the process of that, kind of comes into acquaintance with her estranged father. And he's in the hospital and he's blind. And, but he was a, a long-distance runner. And so he starts to give her advice and train. And as she trains for this big race, the only way that he can communicate with her is to have the, the race map understood in his head. And so he makes a tape for her that she can listen to during the race. And as she's running, she's hearing her father's voice say, okay, pace yourself here. Just back off a little bit. Okay, now here comes a hill. Go, go, get up the hill. Now, okay, now back off again. Now here it is, give it the push. And he's giving her, you know, step-by-step -step instructions 
to go through this race. And in case you want to see it, I won't tell you the end. But, um, you know, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be in constant communication with our Father. He's our race manager. He's the planner of our race. We need to be going to Him and, and just understanding what it is that He has for us to do and bringing our stuff before Him. The next thing that Paul says is he doesn't fight like somebody just beating the air. The, the word actually translates out as shadow boxing. Paul is not shadow boxing. He says he wants to uh, hit with authority. And his punching is with the intention of hitting the object in front of him. So now we get to that final verse. And Paul is telling us what it takes to accomplish the task of running your race to victory. Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. And the word discipline here is kind of a weak interpretation of the Greek word hupopiazo. The word is more accurately translated to strike under the eye. Paul is actually saying that he will give his body, his old flesh, a black eye to show it who's boss, who's running the show. You see, before someone becomes a believer, they're under the rule of the flesh or the body. The flesh is running the show and the mind or the soul is just at the beck and call of the flesh. The flesh sees something and goes, oh, I want that. And the mind is just like, okay, I'll figure out how to get that for you. You know, and that's, that's all that's doing. And the spirit is, is not existent really. I mean, it's dead because the spirit is born dead. We're born body, soul, and spirit, but that part of us is dead because of original sin. When Adam transgressed and brought sin into the world, his spirit died. And we are all sons of Adam. We're all born into sin, and our spirit is born dead. God has set out the rules to Adam, and he told him in the garden. He said, you're free to eat of any tree in this garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had placed in the center of the garden. And God went on and made Eve as a comparable mate for Adam, and Adam clearly told Eve the rules because in chapter 3, we see Eve talking to the serpent and she says, oh no, we, we can't eat of that tree. I know those rules that, and the, for if we disobey, that that's, that's death. But Satan is so tricky and he, and he deceives so intently. And he says to Eve, will you surely die? No, you're not going to die. But you will be like God, then you'll know what he knows. And he enticed Eve, and she, she bought it, and she liked that idea. So she took of that fruit. Then what did she do with it? She took some to Adam, because don't you always kind of want to include somebody else in your sin? You know, you don't want to be standing there alone. You want to you be able to point at them and say, well, they're doing it too. It's not just me. You know, like you want to be able to justify that sin, but you know, Adam chose to side with Eve and disobey God. And as a result of that, that communion with God, that relationship that they had was broken that day. God came to walk with them in the, in the morning as he had done before. And they were hiding because they knew they were naked because they had sinned. God says, who told you you were naked? What happened? And they, you know, of course... Well, you know, that woman you made me, she brought me fruit. 
Uh, and it's all her. And she's a wolf. That devil, you know, he, he tricked me. It's all him, you know. He's always trying to pass that buck. But God says, no, you guys disobeyed the direct directive that I gave you. And as a result, that relationship was broken. And they were told to leave the garden in no uncertain terms. I mean, he put an angel with flaming swords at the gate. It's like they weren't coming back. So that relationship was broken. But God, because before any of this had ever happened, before creation ever took place, God had the plan of redemption already in place. The death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the grave to pay the penalty for all sin and to make a way for that relationship with the Father to be restored had already been established. It's because of this redemption that we are able to have our spirits brought to life by the same power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He resurrects our dead spirit when we give our hearts and lives to the Lord, when we repent and ask Jesus to be the Savior of our lives, He gives us that power, that Holy Spirit then comes to live within us. And we have the ability then by that power to, to say to the flesh, uh-uh, you get in the back seat. You're not driving this bus anymore. The Spirit's in control. And so we can move forward with what the Lord would have us to do because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 21, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the word to himself, the world to himself, sorry, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It, it says it all right there. That's the Christian's responsibility, is to be in this world telling people that there is a way to reconcile with the Father. That relationship no longer needs to be broken. We can have that direct relationship again with the Lord Jesus Christ, or with the Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection. We now have that ability to go to the Father. The Father can look at us and see us in righteousness. So that's, that's our job. He says in verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our job. Isn't that cool? He puts it in such a way that he says, it's like God is pleading through us. We're like his voice here on earth, right? We get to say, there's reconciliation available. For he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that, that we might then become the righteousness of God in him. That's how God sees us. He sees us through that blood of Jesus Christ and he sees us as righteous. Not because of anything we've done, that's for sure. But it's because of Jesus' blood on the cross that paid that price, that paid that penalty for our sin. God can look at us now and see us as righteous. 
God made a way to restore the relationship with the Father. And he gives us that ability by the Holy Spirit in our lives to overcome and subdue that old sinful flesh that would try to keep us from the will of the Lord in our lives. Paul finishes his thought here by telling us why he brings his body, or why he brings his body or his flesh nature into subjection. And it's not that, you know, where he says that he himself might be disqualified. He's, he's not looking and saying, oh, I might, you know, backslide and, and fail somehow and miss out. It's not what he's saying at all. We have to remember the context of what Paul's talking about here. And the context is he's talking about is of reward. Paul is talking about not missing out on that which God would have for us, right? It's not about salvation. It's about fulfilling the plan that God has for us and moving forward toward that goal. The word disqualified here, it means to be found unfit, to be set aside, to be taken out of the lineup. Worship team, you can come up. What a shame it would be if the star player on a championship team was to be taken off that active list, to be taken out of the game before that big final game because he was found unfit for some reason, slacking off. He hadn't trained in the last while. He'd just taken it for granted. It's just going to coast. It's all good. And he gets benched, you know, for, for a reason that, and it would suck. <laughs> to not be able to take part in that game, that final game that he had trained so long for. What a disappointment that would be to be set aside and miss out on the reward that was meant for you. This is what Paul is saying here. Don't let up. The race is almost over. This is not the time to slow down and rest. Like that long distance runner, it's the time for the final push to give all that's left into the tank and just leave it all out there for the Lord. Don't allow yourselves to be taken out of the race by taking a rest or relaxing because as we know, we can see that finish line is, is getting closer. We can see it day after day. This isn't the time to let up. This is the time to run. Run with the prize in view and finish your race well. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning your word that just pushes us forward, that teaches us how to serve you, how to go out in the world and win those for you. Lord, I pray that we would be able to relate to people in our day-to-day -day lives. Lord, wherever we are, at work, at school, the grocery store, it doesn't matter. Lord, I just pray that we would be able to express to people the fact that there is reconciliation with God the Father available and it's so easy it's so simple all we need to do is just explain to them that jesus died on the cross for our sins paid the price that we could never pay and he was raised again to conquer death and hell and we can have that victory in him thank you lord jesus help us to put that forward in the world that we live in thank you for your word today lord in jesus name